So the night Karawong has arrived at precisely six o'clock. As it seems to do, which uh, for us means it's time to record a good drop. Today we're going to be talking about Anaset or Sambuka. Yeah, Sam- Sambuka specifically, Anaset more generally because that is the family from which Sambuka is derived. So uh, before we get into it, I'm Michael. And I'm Stuart. And this is a good drop. Cheers. Cheers. had a first drop of Sambuka in a long time and it's really nice. It's like uh, uh, absinthe but much, much, much sweeter. Yeah, it's the first time I've had Sambuka for quite a while as well and the first time I've had it on the rocks, it's the first time I've not had it at a bar in a long time, which means it's the first time I've not shot at it and it's a completely different experience to sip cold Sambuka Mm. to shotting room temperature Sambuka. Or even sipping it and or drinking it on fire, yeah. as some people want to do. Yes, though we don't do that in Queensland because you're not allowed anymore in bars. But you can do it in your own home if you're game. Yeah, we don't do it in bars, but lots of people do it at home. Oh, yes. Yes, and uh, since we've begun talking about ways that uh, Sambuka is consumed, let's talk about other ways it can be drunk. Yeah, let's, let's follow this tangent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so um, obviously shutting it is one way, on the rocks is another. There is... Uh, the way known as a la mosca of the fly. And there's a couple of versions of that one too. You, you, traditionally, with the fly is just one coffee bean in the shot also of Sambuca. Yep, and uh, that's where it, it began as, as a single coffee bean. And it's believed that um, that practice began in the golden era of Italian cinematography when a group of actors were drinking together and someone decided it would be funny to drop a coffee bean in one of their drinks. But they liked it and people started doing it. And today it tends to be three coffee beans with them representing health, happiness and prosperity. Though apparently some places in Italy will give you as many as seven coffee beans Hmm. to represent the seven mountains of Rome. Seven hills of Rome. Hmm. You can drink it on the rocks like we are drinking it today. Uh, you can have it frozen, which is you put your bottle in the freezer and drink it straight out of the freezer. So it's ice, ice cold, ice, ice, baby. Yeah. Uh, you've got room temperature uh, or Liska. And, you know, of course, you can always drink it with coffee or as an aside to coffee. Yeah. And uh, with coffee actually leads us um, right back to... One of uh, the uses where it came from and one of the reasons why it's believed that it became something you drink with coffee, which is uh, it's believed to aid with digestion, Mm. among other things. (laughs) Many, many things. Yeah, because over the years, since since, uh, it was first used in Egypt in 1500 BC, it's been used for purposes including increasing milk flow in nursing mothers, uh, curing epilepsy, uh, as an aphrodisiac, as a laxative, as an appetite suppressant. As an antidote for snake bites and scorpion stings. It's been used for easing sore throats and coughing. It's still used for that these days. Yeah. It's uh, what's called an expectorant, where it uh, increases the flow of mucus in your throat to help loosen it and cough it up, Yeah, which is kind of gross and not what you want to hear when you're drinking, but it's a little bit of trivia. Yeah, and uh, it's um, 
also considered to aid with intestinal disorders, and in fact the Greek mathematician Pythagoras uh, is believed to have been the first to state that it would prevent uh, stomach pain and belching. Hmm. And uh, that led, apparently, to the Italian tradition of putting it in your cup of post-dinner coffee. Because, of course, Italians love their coffee, and they drink coffee before dinner, during dinner, after dinner, and they would put it in their post-dinner coffee as a means of aiding digestion. If the Italians can drink coffee, they will drink coffee. Yes. And uh, so we, we might as well briefly uh, take this moment to talk about um, anisette, which is where, where Sambuca comes from, because uh, anisette is a sweet but potent liqueur made from aniseed. Hmm. It's the, the class of, of liqueurs that we're talking about yeah. today. Yes. what Sambuca is, just like Shiraz is a uh, wine. Yeah, exactly. So uh, anise, called anice in Italian, uh, once grew wild in the Mediterranean and is one of the oldest known spice plants. As, as we said, it's been known to be used in Egypt as far back as 1500 hmm. BC. And it's even mentioned in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so it's so popular in the Mediterranean, where it used to grow wild, that a lot of Mediterranean countries have their own anisette beverage. Yeah, that everyone's got their own different versions of it too. They're all they're all slightly different, but relatively the same. Yeah, hence, hence yeah, we're sticking them in the hmm, group. Exactly, they're similar in flavour because they're all derived from from aniseed, from aniseed or. Um, or anise or star anise and um yeah and so they've got uh, anise in spain uh raki anise del mono or the monkey's anisette mm, uh raki in turkey uh pastis in france ouzo in greece which we will give its own episode later because there's a lot of there's a lot there there's a lot to cover on ouzo we've got mastica in bulgaria uh, and Iraq in Lebanon, Syria, Egypt. Not to be confused with Iraq from Bali and Asia, which is a rice-based liqueur. Yeah, and uh, of course in Italy their version of anisette is called Sambuca, which is made from essential oils from anise, star anise, licorice, and other spices, as well as elderflower, which is where it gets its name, because the Latin for elder for elderberry is Sambucus. And just like a lot of European liqueurs, it's been written into law about how much of one ingredient, or uh, what the ratio of ingredients are. It has to be made with uh, anise, or an aniseed. Uh, it's got to have at least 350 grams of sugar per litre, and it's got to be about 38% alcohol. Yeah, with, I believe they set the minimum as 37.5, and it can't be below that. Yeah. But so. generally, they're from that low range anywhere as high as 50%, hmm. depending on the brand. I think the one we're drinking today is about 40%. Yeah, I believe it is about 40%. Yes, today we are drinking Galliano Black Sambuca, which brings me to that there are traditionally two types of Sambuca, white and black, with the black usually having a stronger flavour. Mm. And uh, the black is, uh, in Italian, referred to as della notte, which means of the night. Now, uh, red Sambuca has uh, since been introduced, which has hints of cinnamon flavour to it, and there are also different flavoured Sambucas, including raspberry, cranberry, pomegranate, and spiced apple. Pomegranate. Pomegranate. That's an interesting choice of flavors. Yeah, and I mean, considering it also, if if it's a flavored sambuca, then it must also have that anise flavor to it, which would mean that you're looking at anise and raspberry, anise and cranberry, anise and pomegranate. Hmm. Oh, That's. I'd be interesting giving those a go. Yeah, there's some interesting sounding combinations there. 
Yeah. Very curious. Yeah. So, uh, continuing on the historical note, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, it, some believe that if you place it under under the pillow, it helped to ward off nightmares. Oh, yes, true. That's a bit of trivia yeah, another well. of the strange things that it's been hmm. used for over the it's, years. It's another one of our cure-alls. Yeah. Like, many, many, many liqueurs have been used over the years. Oh, yes, for all sorts of bizarre purposes hmm. and because it was also thought to prevent the evil eye I'm, i don't pre- even know what that to, is i'm not sure but i think it must have been some kind of the same sort of thing as a nightmare i guess some sort of dark demon possession something maybe, maybe that's an egyptian thing and they they're referring to the eye of ra mm, i don't know that, that's the only context i can i can think of though we should have done more research yeah, but ra, ra was the sun god though so the eye of ra was considered a good omen Mm. So the the evil eye, I, I would be more inclined to think, would be like some some demonic thing, perhaps. I, I don't know. Mm. If you know, let us know. Yeah, send us send us a message on Facebook or post on our wall. Yeah, or uh, send us an email or tell your friends to tell our friends. Have your people contact our people. <laughs> so after that little bit of bizarre history, let's uh, get into some historical history historical with. Uh, about the actual production of the beverage, because um, it's it's one of those things where we can tell you what's in it, and we have, and we can tell you where they make it. They make it in Italy because it's an Italian drink, but nobody actually tells anybody how they make it because no, they've got their own variety of secret herbs and spices. Yeah, they've all got their own varieties. Like there's a number of brands that make Sambuca. There's uh, Galliano, who makes the Sambuca that we're drinking at the moment, and uh, Luxardo, Malinari, Opomnera, uh, Romane, and Sambuca di Amore. And all of them keep their recipe heavily guarded for exactly how they do it. Mm. But... We, I suppose we could speculate on how they make it, which is a buttload of sugar. <laughs> yeah, a buttload and of sugar, some pure alcohol, probably. Probably grape alcohol or grain alcohol. That seems to be the most common. And anise, of course. Yeah, and they would then steep the ingredients into the alcohol and potentially distill it further. Mm, I suppose there's one um, one note between that and pastis, which is the French version. Mm. Pastis is made with aniseed and licorice root to give it a slightly different flavour. And it's also got much less sugar in it, only 100 grams per litre versus the 350 grams a litre of Sambuca. Mm. And of course, we know that those ingredients are macerated before they're added to the alcohol, whereas we don't know what's done with the ingredients that go into Sambuca. No. The Parisians have been a little more forthcoming with their recipes for pastis. Yes, the Italians are secretive, I suppose, much like with uh, with Italian cars, like Lamborghinis and Ferraris, where is a fast, is a so fast, but the the exact figures they they don't care. They'll they'll let you work that out for yourself by putting your foot down. <laughs> yeah, or uh, who cares how fast it is? Just look how good it looks. Yeah, yeah. it's it's pretty. That's what matters. <laughs> So let's talk about the the brands, the big brands. Um, well, let's let's talk about the history because we can't go to the big brands without talking about where Sambuca began. All right. Because uh, the first commercially available Sambuca was sold by uh, Luigi Manzi in uh, Lovatavecchia, Italy, in the eighteen hundreds, and uh, it it did okay. It was relatively popular in Italy amongst Italians, but not hugely so, until uh, 1945, where soon after the end of the Second World War, Comandatore Angelo Molinari started producing Sambuca Extra Molinari, which 
helped the popularity of Sambuca rise throughout Italy and eventually the whole world. And in fact, he became a brand. And I mean, the other brands, Galliano, which we're drinking, and Luxardo, and Opel Nera, and Romana, and Sambuca di Amore are all out there, but Molinari remains the brand in Italy. Mm, just like Levi's are synonymous with jeans. Everyone knows what you're talking about when you say Levi's because they've set themselves as the the jeans brand. Yeah, and in Italy, if you're buying Sambuca, you don't ask for Sambuca, you ask for a Molinari. But that was a clever marketing campaign by Molinari. They released a few different ads, and one of them was, don't ask for Sambuca, ask for Molinari. Or they don't ask for Sambuca, everyone asks for Molinari. It was really, really quite interesting, because they... All right, let me try and pronounce some Italian here. Uh, un... Consig- consiglio quinda eccetta occhio al etichetta. <laughs> Sorry, Italian listeners. It means follow at my advice, check the label. I'm not going to butcher the rest of them. Uh, the next one was, you don't say Sambuca, you say Molinari. There, there it is. Yeah. And I just have one flaw. I'm not a foreigner. Or the one featured in the famous... Carosello with Walter Chiari. Per troppo fa male, bere male fa peggio, bevi poco ma bene, bevi sambuco molinari. Drinking too much is bad, drinking bad stuff is worse, drinking good quality in little quantities, drink sambuco molinari. So that it's nice to see that they're promoting responsible drinking with their ad campaigns. Yeah. Uh, but they're they're very very clever in their in their marketing. They've, oh, absolutely! They've created phrases and uh, catchwords or keywords that make people when people say them uh, they think Molinari Sambuca, like the the Bunnings Green, for yes, example. Yes, just immediately reminds you of Bunnings. Or hello. Yeah, I mean <laughs> the the risk of anything that makes you makes your brand synonymous with a certain product though is the potential that you can lose your trademark because that can happen like um, anyone is allowed to call tissues a Kleenex Hmm. because Kleenex has become so synonymous with tissues that that it's now generally accepted that when people say Kleenex they mean tissues which means that the Kleenex tissue company can no longer Claim copyright. Claim copyright on someone who uses it. Same with Band-Aid brand Band-Aids, and the entire reason why they call them Band-Aid brand Band-Aids is because when when someone says Band-Aid, you're not talking about a a Band-Aid brand Band-Aid, you're just talking about a Band-Aid. It could be an Elastoplast. Elastoplast Band-Aid, yeah. But Band-Aid became so synonymous with that product that Mm. they lost the trademark on their name. The same thing happened with Biro as well. I yeah, think. yeah, like because you can, it's still their name, and they're the only ones who can have a brand called that. But anyone can refer to their product as a biro. of that as a biro or as a Kleenex or as a band aid, huh. just like. Um, to, to a lesser extent, uh, Lazy Boy can be used to refer to a recliner, but they're I've a particular used brand. Like that. Like in, in America, I believe it happens more so. Okay. But um, like jacuzzis. A jacuzzi, yep. you say jacuzzi and everyone thinks hot tub, but it's a brand of hot tub. Yeah, and so Molinari is playing a dangerous game where they're trying to get their brand name Sambuca synonymous with Molinari and Molinari synonymous with Sambuca, but not to the extent where anybody can refer to their Sambuca as a Molinari. Very, well, yeah, it's a very Yeah, international copyright is an interesting thing. A very interesting (laughs) thing. So, 
Molinari's had quite quite a wide success. They started in 1945 with a... Oh, Angelo Molinari started his business in 1945 with a quote-unquote experienced and skilled liquorista. <laughs> I suppose like a barista, but mm, for, for liquor. Liquor, yeah. Uh, and he his first product is Sambuca Extra. Yeah, he promotes it over the years and it just becomes more and more a household name. He's done really well with marketing. Yeah, and uh, so we're we're going to assume since that is the brand that really made Sambuca a thing, both in Italy and abroad, we're we're going to uh, put Molinari Sambuca as our top drop for today. Now, Mm. there is no odd drop because only Italian brands make Sambuca and none of them have funny names. They're just all Italian. Both. They could be. They could sound amusing to us, but the, yeah, they're yeah. Italian. But they're just called what they're called. But mm. uh, our good drop is what we're currently drinking, which is the Galliano Black Sambuca. Galliano Black Sambuca. Yeah, there's there's a longer name in the middle, but <laughs> uh, Black Licore alla Sambuca, apparently. But um, yeah, the Galliano story is nowhere near as interesting as uh, as the Molinari story because Galliano. Funnily enough, um, has only been around since 1896. 1896. The, the Galliano as a brand has been around since 1896. Right. But the brand came into existence along with the herbal liqueur of the same name, Galliano. And um, it uh, was made by Italian distiller and brandy producer Arturo Vaccari. And he named it after the Italian war hero Giuseppe Galliano. So prior to that, he was making brandy. Right. And then decided to make a herbal liqueur. So is Galliano a brandy liqueur? Uh, it is not a brandy liqueur. Oh. It's a herbal liqueur. Like herbal based? Yeah, yeah. Grape? Uh, it's a, well, I haven't uh, looked into it per se, except that it's a herbal liqueur. Right. That's, that's what they market it as. And apparently the Galliano brand is currently owned by the Dutch distiller Lucas Bowles. Oh, he's an interesting character. He, you were telling me earlier that he only uh, owns obscure uh, European liquors. Yeah, they, they own brands. Uh, 20 brands in all, which, you know, produce a number of other things, like Galliano produces, you know, Black Sambuca, White Sambuca, Amaretto, and uh, another of other, a number of other liqueurs. And, yeah, they have, uh, say, Lucas Bowles has a vodka and a gin and a bunch of Lucas Bowles liqueurs and things, but... But Did has it? he got the balls to drink it himself? Well, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> do they have the balls? Do any of you have the balls, listeners? <laughs> Will they, you try the balls? They they had to have used that as a marketing campaign at some point. Well, if they don't take themselves too seriously, you'd think so. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so what what I did find interesting, though, was that outside of, like, within Italy, Galliano tends to, as far as I could find, only sell Galliano. Oh, the geez. Black Sambuca, White Sambuca, and Amaretto, they only sell in the Australasia region. So the market mustn't be, must be oversaturated for those drinks in the European Yeah, market. either that or over there, people associate Galliano so strongly with Galliano liqueur that... That they, having a, another liqueur related to that name would just ruin the brand. Yeah, that, yeah potentially if they, they see Galliano and then Galliano Black Sambuca, what? Hmm. Maybe they would think that it was the Galliano liqueur with Black Sambuca mixed with it, and that could be odd. It could be interesting, though. Yeah, because here we consider Galliano as a brand rather than as a drink. Yeah. Can you buy the Galliano liqueur here? Um, I believe you can. Let's, it's something we should try. We should definitely give it a go. Yeah, because it's uh, golden yellow in colour, the Galliano liqueur. 
Mm. And comes in the same shaped bottle as everything else they make, which is uh, sort of reminiscent of a classical Roman column, mm. the, the shape of the bottle. It's, it's quite it's wide at the base mm. and narrow, tapers to a, tapers a narrow to top. A, yeah, to a narrow top. They're quite an impressive looking bottle. Huge. But it won't fit in my liquor cupboard, which is quite <laughs> disappointing. <laughs> Because it's so tall. So very tall. Yeah, you're looking at about 45, 50 centimetres tall at yeah. least. Yes, it's a big bottle. But very stylish. I mean, you, you, yeah. as, as you can see in the picture, it's, it's, a, it's a very nice looking bottle. It, it stands out. Yeah. It's it, a very unique... Yeah, it's, it stands out because of that reason. Yeah. Yes, the, the bottle makes it stand out. Hmm. Which I think is important in, uh, in the liquor world. And I suppose in... Europe especially, where they'd have undoubtedly developed that bottle shape for their Galliano liqueur, it's important because there are so many liqueurs there, and they're such big drinkers of liqueurs, it's important to have yours stand out. Mm. Well, I've I've noticed recently that people that uh, liquor brands are getting really creative with their bottling, like not just their labels with wines, or with the labels like they're doing with wines, but with the bottles for spirits. So, I mean, Scotch whiskey and bourbon whiskey, the bottles are relatively boring. Um, but if you start to look into rums and tequila and brandy, the bottles are getting very unique, very stylish. Oh, yeah. There's some very fancy looking stuff. I mean, the the brandy that we drank during our brandy episode, the bottle's gorgeous. Yeah. It's got a puma on the front, too. Yeah. Or a panther or another mm, and large And, of course, cat. all of... All of the ones that they make look like that, just in mm. different in different versions. And you've got uh, tequila. Oh, mm. it was uh, Reposado. That's the one. That was a nice bottle. But uh, very very eye catching label. Mm. But the bottle itself is not very interesting. No, the, the, the bottle is pretty standard. Eight, 1886 or eighteen eighty eight tequila. Well, the uh, the eighteen hundred Anejo tequila has a has an interesting yeah, looking bottle. Yeah, that's the one. Eighteen hundred. Um, they that's an interesting bottle. There's Crystal Skull Vodka, which is a bottle shaped like a skull. Yeah, and of course the uh, that Dragon Vodka that has the gold in it. Mm. And you've got the Shrunken Head Rum, yeah. which we tried, which and was fancy. It's really good. Um, yeah, they're getting really creative with the bottles, which is nice to see because it's always becoming a, a work of art. Yeah, and I mean, you're getting to a point where there's all these bottles that you want to keep because they're such a fancy-looking bottle. They're such a nice bottle. Absolutely. And you know you could repurpose it for something. Which is smart on behalf of the brands because it means that it's extra marketing for them. Yeah, if you keep that bottle lying around at home, it reminds you, and then anyone else who sees it says, what's that bottle from? Yeah, and you can say, oh, it's this drop, and it was fan-bloody-tastic, Yeah, and now they're going to go out and buy it. Yes, and then you can suggest that they listen to our podcast. <laughs> Which is also fan-bloody-tastic. Which is also fan-bloody-tastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we've gone off the rails a bit, so mm, that's, that's probably about it for our episode. Yep, We're, so... It's nearly time. It's nearly time. and The, the Karawong's uh, gone, so... <laughs> so do be sure to tune in next time when we go back towards the red scale of wine with Sherry. Yeah, going to explore a very English drink, mm. I believe it is. My dad drinks Sherry all the time. Yes, well, I'm very good in cooking. Mm. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to try, give that one a go. So be sure to tune in next time. And until then, uh, join us on the Facebooks, A Good Drop Podcast, 
Yeah, and of course you can find us on iTunes as a Good Drop podcast. Uh, we've got an email address, a good drop at gmail.com. Yep, and uh, be sure to tell your friends. Email us if you have any ideas, any thoughts, any feedback. Yeah, uh, you should be able to find our uh, RSS feed on on most services if you just or get it off our website, a good drop.com.au. Yeah, so uh, until next time. Cheers. Cheers.